0: Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. It is the day after... The Day After brings the crew, first-time crew this year. Uh, certainly not the show we planned on recording. Johnny T-Shirt is our sponsor, and also Blue Shark Vodka has teamed up with Inside Carolina. We'll talk about them in a little bit. But The Day After brings Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. And gentlemen, I'll get it out of the way early. I'm tired. I have It has been a long 24 hours. Uh, fun time in Blacksburg with some great people. Um, all except the three, three and a half hours that the clock was running on the Tar Heels. Buck, I'll open with you first. We're going to break this down as best as possible, and I don't want it to be a hot take field show. But the loss is not totally surprising. I've been around long enough to see these games um, plenty. It's how Carolina lost Saturday, or excuse me, Friday night in Blacksburg. What do you think?
1: Well, I think you have a a very good point in terms of. It was difficult not to get the impression that Virginia Tech was the better prepared team. They were just better prepared. And uh, that's coaching players the whole nine yards. Um, When Virginia Tech went outside of their comfort zone and did some things differently than you typically expect a Fuente uh, coached Virginia Tech team to do, when was the last time you saw Justin Fuente holding on to the ball to the last second before he snapped it? I mean, they, uh, they played keep away. I don't think North Carolina was expecting that they did some things defensively, offensively. Uh, they did some things differently that North Carolina wasn't prepared for and had no in game answer for at least not until the second half. They did make some adjustments in the second half, but, um, Georgia tech was, I mean, Virginia tech was just more prepared and North Carolina has got to get better at that being prepared. If the other team throws you a curveball, you got to be ready for that. Uh, particularly if you're the more talented team, if you're the better team in theory, you're going to should expect the other team to come at you a little differently and not play football on your terms. They're going to try to play them on their terms. Um, it wasn't, as you said, Tommy, a shocking outcome. I expected to be a, a closer game than a lot of people did, but I expected the Tor Heels to win, but by single digits, and it turned out single digits the other way. I thought, uh, contrary to Jason Staples' opinion, the crowd had an impact on this game. Uh, they, I think they fed the, uh, the Virginia Tech team a lot of energy. And the North Carolina team fed the Virginia Tech crowd a lot of energy too because they kept uh, Virginia Tech, you know, the score so close that the, nobody was leaving the stadium right up into the final minute. Um, and so, yeah, all those things combined, I'm not shocked. I'm disappointed. I, I think every UNC fan would be disappointed this this morning that um, – things turned out the way they did. There's a lot more we can say about this, and I'm not going to try to take all the time about it. I probably could, but uh, I'm just going to pass the stick to somebody else to carry the ball for a while, and
0: uh, we'll get through this one way or the other. Indeed. Uh, You mentioned Georgia Tech there um, in a slip of the tongue, but it's not totally out of the out of the realm first quarter time of possession, Jason. This is what was shocking to me. And we debated whether or not you win the toss, you defer, you put your defense out there, whatever. Virginia Tech 12 and a half minutes, Carolina, two and a half minutes, first quarter. That sort of got um, Virginia Tech realizing they can they're gonna be in this game, and more importantly, realize the crowd realizing that this is gonna be um, their type of, of game. Let's talk a little bit briefly to start, or maybe not too briefly, is the preparedness, like Buck talked about. They simply had no answer early for what Virginia Tech was trying to do. And I don't think Virginia Tech was doing anything super special. They whipped Carolina up front on both sides of the ball. You can't win on the road against pretty much anybody if that happens. What did you see, especially early, Jason?
2: Well, I mean, I, I, th- I think the first thing is to Carolina particularly – Carolina offensive staff but Carolina got out coached in this game and out prepared I, I think that's absolutely right uh, what what Buck said about that um, I don't think the time of possession I mean I know the everybody always looks at that sort of thing and goes oh yeah you know time of possession I don't think it matters and that that wasn't that big of a factor now where that does matter is what you were saying Buck about the crowd having impact the crowd has impact when you let them have impact by not making plays early in the game, right? You, you, you basically allow, and, and uh, you know, we, Joey Powell and I talked about this on the uh, on the pregame radio broadcast where, you know, what you, what you have to do is, is you have to go out and, and basically shut the crowd up early on that the crowd doesn't beat you. But what can happen is if you allow the opposing team to get early momentum, then that can sort of serve as a little bit of a force multiplier of that momentum. And I think it did that here. And it would in any opposing stadium. I mean, that's just the way that it is. And Carolina came out and got punched in the face. And, you know, I think Vip was right in, in his post game, although it wasn't uh, Muhammad Ali that said that it was the custom motto, but everybody has a plan until they get hit. And, uh, you know, that is, uh, they got hit. They got hit in the face early on, and they didn't respond. And frankly, I'm not that surprised by that first drive. You're you're feeling things out. They've got a good plan for how to attack you and doing different things. And first drive or two of a season, you know, you're usually going to be kind of finding your feet. And you got a really young group on, you know, on that side of the ball. That, that's fine. But the offense didn't respond, and you know, they went I think three and out on that first drive. And so you compound that you, you compound a a, a long and and successful opening drive with a three and out. And then they're able to continue to get a little bit of success on the ground in the second drive. And it's not so much about the time of possession. It's about the fact that you're letting them move the ball while you're not moving the ball. It's real simple. And uh, to me, Again, if you so, there are a few things that just coming into this show. I'm, 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 I've got my head kind of swimming in a lot of things. The first thing is, if if you'd have told me pregame, Virginia Tech's going to score seventeen points, and they're going to be held to, uh, what was it, uh, two hundred and it's two hundred and seventy yards, is that right? Ninety
0: six uh, total, I think. Two ninety six yeah. total.
2: Yeah. So. You're looking at, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, I'm 307, 307. So they're going to be held. Carolina is going to hold Virginia Tech to 307 yards total, 17 points. Now that should have been 24 because of the drop in the uh, in the red zone, or maybe 21. I don't remember. I think they they uh, did kick that field goal. So, and they're going to and and they're going to hold Virginia Tech to a total of uh 5.0 yards per play so 5.0 yards per play 17 points 307 total yards I'm looking at that and I'm saying I will take that outcome every single time in this game but if you'd have told me that Carolina is going to score 10 points and struggle to move the ball the entire game it would have been hard to believe that given the Carolina that we've seen the last two years and that I mean it was the it was the inability to get anything generated on the offensive side that really was the difference in this game I mean I know yeah it was frustrating at times to watch the defense just kind of bend and bend and bend at different points and not get the kind of pressure that they wanted uh, and that was discussed all offseason sure a little bit of frustration there but ultimately the outcomes on that they could have won the game with the performance that, and they should have won the game with the performance that they had on that side of the ball on the offense. When you've got a, a Heisman trophy uh, contender coming into the season at, at quarterback, you got five returning starters, four of whom are on the field for that opener at all, on the offensive line. You can't go out there and score 10 points and you've got to be able to find ways to move the football. And, uh, and, and they didn't do that. And I'll say one, one last thing. I'm kicking myself in terms of you go back to the, uh, to our preseason podcast in terms of projecting the, uh, the schedule. And, you know, I, those of you who, who listen to this will remember I was looking for that third loss. And now it probably, you know, we'll, we'll, talk about potential outcomes there, but I'm, I was looking like there's I I'm, I'm searching for things for games that I think are going to be a loss because I felt like this was probably a nine and three team, but I ended up, kind of going back on that and, you know, okay, whatever. But the, I missed the most obvious one, staring me right in the face, a road game, opening weekend, adjusting to all the weapons lost on offense, you know, all of these different factors in play against a good team and just never really, really considered. I mean, I, I, my gut kind of said, this is going to be a tough one, but never really considered that this would, this would be what it was. And, you know, I think part of that is that I just didn't feel Virginia Tech was going to be quite as good as I think they're it looks like they're going to be this year. So I didn't consider that. And uh and so I'm kind of kicking myself over that. But uh this was this looked like a team that lost five guys, four well, four major contributors on the offense, uh, who are now, you know, getting NFL paychecks and j- hasn't figured out how to replace them
0: lot there, a lot to unpack this entire show. A couple things. I mean, Carolina got a first down on that first drive um, to Josh right, Downs, I believe, down. and then Watch it down. kind of shut down from there. My point about time of possession is not that it ultimately matters, especially with an offense that scores quickly, but I felt like Carolina started rushing a little bit, or Sam started rushing a little bit, um, and made plays that ended up giving the ball back to Virginia Tech more so than maybe if they um, – had the ball a little longer but I, I certainly concede to you that it's not that big a deal
2: but he never looked comfortable in this game no and,
0: and and that is the ultimate segue to my next point but okay a couple of things that I'm thinking watching this game Javante and Michael Carter are pretty damn good and if that offensive line performance from yesterday is what those guys had to deal with during their career, um, then they're not just good. They're elite, uh, beyond elite. But let's talk about the offensive line. If there's one thing that I think was the most shocking thing is that offensive line, and I don't want to call guys out. It is what it is, but everybody saw it. They were brutal at times against Virginia Tech. And Michael Barno made a lot of money last night um, going against that offensive line. But we talked about it off air um, that is what's the most uh, – I got nothing on how that could possibly happen with three years together, uh, all veterans. Sure, the crowd's loud. Sure, it's all that. But just, wow, help me understand how that, this, how that could happen. It was compounded uh, by
1: the, the fact that the wide receivers uh, could get no separation from Virginia tech secondary, which Sam is going to try to make a play. Um, that's, he feels like that's his job is to make a play and with the receivers struggling to get any kind of separation. And, and I hope that Virginia tech secondary is close to the best one that they'll face this year. Uh, cause if they face another one that good, they're going to be in big trouble. Um, but. The Tar Heels, uh, Sam Howell in particular, he tended to hang on to the ball too long, which he, we know that he's done that in the past as well. And receivers can't get open, so he holds the ball longer. That puts more stress on the offensive line. They can't you know, keep them out forever. And Sam Howell goes down. So I think it was a two-fold problem. One – and, and we'll talk on threefold problem, uh, but uh, I think the, we'll talk about more about this, too. But even when they could get separation and did get separation, uh, it was inexplicable the number of drops that they had as well. Uh, you know, guys like Garrett Walston, who, you know, I'm not trying to call Garrett out at all, but, you know, normally he catches everything.
2: Normally the balls on, be- the, normally the balls on his frame better. I mean, neither of the ones that that were drops for him were, were easy. I mean, those were, those were both very difficult catches because Sam didn't locate him. Uh, in any of the event- factor in this game, Sam Sam was not as as I, I'm. I'm going to step in here for a second. Howell from the first throw of the game forward, that was that little RPO that they threw to to um to Antoine Green, um that first throw was high and a little bit toward the middle, uh, you know, away from his frame. He just missed him. And then the same thing was true with the one that Walston was going on the little crosser. It was high and wet and well outside the frame and you're stretching your guy out. And, you know, it, those are tough catches. Now, do you, should you come up with those catches? If you're an elite? Absolutely. Those are catches you expect your guys to be able to make, but Sam missed some, and I'm not talking about when he was under pressure. These were throws where he wasn't under pressure. He did not throw it as well last night as what he has the last couple of years. He had a rough night, even when he was, and this is before the game got out of hand, and this was before the pressure got to him. He missed some throws that I can tell you right now, when he's looking at those today, he's kicking himself because he had opportunities and missed them. So there's your, and it really is a fourfold thing. There's three right there where it was a, you know, a confluence of problems, offensive line struggle, receivers, like you said, not getting separation. And then when they did, Sam not putting the ball on location like he has.
1: And on on some occasions, though, uh, the ball hit um, receivers right in the chest, right in the numbers, and they dropped it. So –
2: Yeah, no, there were a few uh, of those too. So We we, will run out
1: of fingers on our hands to (laughs) count the reasons why here in a minute. But um, I think the – as far as the offensive line piece of it, I think that was complicated by the fact that Howell had to hang on to the ball so long because nobody could get open um, except for yeah. downs.
2: And I completely uh, uh, agree. And one other thing, this is the third thing that I was thinking before is one of the reasons that, that Howell ended up holding onto the ball on, in some of these cases that got and, and got pressure. Some of these were RPOs. So he's putting the ball in the belly and reading his key and deciding to hold on to it and throw it with a glance route, which is one of those little longer slant routes behind the, uh, behind the, the read key. And he's looking for that glance route and expecting to get that ball out. And Virginia tech gained him on a number of those where they, they had a very good sense of this was going to be an RPO with a glance on that side. And they would actually bring a player who is not the read key and undercut the glance. And that what, what was happening was there are a few times where it, Howell pulled, the, pulled the, the ball on the RPO to make the throw and then went to make the throw and then realized, oh, shoot, this is going to be a pick because they got a guy coming from the other side that's going to, you know, got his eyes over there and held, held onto the ball. And then the thing is, in an RPO, your offensive line is run blocking. So if you don't get that ball out right away, you're going to get smoked as a quarterback. So some of this was just flat out getting out-schemed. And what was surprising to me was that the number of times that they went back to that well in a few cases after that had happened a couple times. And it's like, okay, look, at a certain point, they're sitting on what you're doing here, and you got to change that, and they didn't. And there are a few places where I'm, my, I'm saying, you know, Uh, by the second half i started i started talking to my tv which is pretty rare um you know i was um you know going you know hand it off like oh come on you missed your read again you know there were a few of these where they didn't they were not prepared for what they were seeing and a few cases where they they just they got out schemed and out prepared and they didn't do a good enough job of adjusting to some of the things that were were being done on the defensive side to take away some of those options.
0: It is a yeah. I, I still think the offensive line got whipped up front. Well, one other
2: thing, by the way, about not that.
0: disagreeing about that, but yeah, none was, of us are. Disagreeing there's a reason, about that. but th- there are other factors. But the bottom line is, if you can't block them, it doesn't matter. After there's that.
2: no excuse for how the offensive line did not play like they had four, three-year starters out there. There's no question about that. That said, sack-adjusted rush yardage average per carry. Any any guesses on that?
0: It was like six and a half,
2: wasn't it? 7.5. Yeah. But you know how many times they ran the ball?
0: Not a lot. Well, Chandler, Chandler had and Jones carries. had
2: 16 combined carries. They abandoned the run early in the game, and part of that is because they kept RPOing you know, this is that run-pass option where again Howell has the option to pull the ball, and frankly, there were a number of places where what they should have done is just called the run and said, "We're going to run it. Don't pull it. Don't pull it." They're 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 sitting on the glance. They're trying they're trying to keep us throwing on the RPO, and I've been on the sideline before where. As, as an offensive staff we said that we, we basically came in and, and, and you know where there's an RPO kind of thing always tagged onto this run we tell the quarterback look when we call this you don't you don't have an option to pull this time this drive you're handing it off period and there needed to be some of that in this game because they actually they did run it with some success at different points now the, the backs didn't The backs got got into the into the second level a number of times and didn't break that tackle. And and you can I'm actually planning on one of the one of the videos for this week. I want to look at there's a particular run where it was a mirror of one of Javante Williams' long runs last year, and the back this year I can't remember which one it was, uh, basically got into the same situation. Each back took a little bit of a hit to the leg. Javante Williams broke that tackle at the second level at about three yards upfield and then turned it into like a 40 or 50 yard run this year, he went down at five yards. That's a big difference. Now the offensive line's job is to get you to that three or four yard range. And then your job as the running back is to earn your scholarship and turn it into 50. Well, that was another issue that, you know, Carter and Williams, like you said, they were elite that they, when they did get to the second level, they made, they made additional yardage every time. And we didn't see that as much here. We saw, okay, you get, you know, your three yards and then, you know, kind of go down. There was not enough of the second level wins for that group, but yeah, it was, um, it was not, it was not a good performance on the offensive side from any position group from the offensive line to howl to the running backs, to the wide receivers, to the offensive staff, in terms of how they prepared and called this game it was a bit of a debacle and they're going to have to figure out this looked like a team that didn't have an identity on offense and they and they're going to have to figure out who they trust and to really go to that well i mean there were how many times last yesterday were there were was there a drive where you're going yeah this time last year this would be this would be when they go to Deami Brown up top how many times and, and actually
0: and nobody was open
2: yeah and, and actually there was a there was a there, there were two drives where i was i i, I was uh, i i said i kind of talked over to my wife who wasn't really paying attention but sometimes i say something to somebody like well <laughs> right about now uh right about now they they need to go over the top here this is this this play they got to they they've got it and Twice they did it, and on the one, Emory Simmons had enough space, but then fundamenta- his fundamentals broke down and he tried to go up the wrong way, and the defensive back got his hand in it. That's a touchdown last year. Deami Brown makes that play. And then there was another time where they, they called it, and Howell didn't throw it because he didn't trust that either guy was open enough. So, you know, I didn't think they took enough over-the-top shots, period. And there, there were some cases where Virginia Tech had one-on-one press coverage there's just a deep middle safety against the boundary and i'm looking at that going look if this, if this is how they're going to cover me that guy on the boundary the outside receiver has to win that route you've got to start throwing that vertical and making them and getting them out of that and if they can do that all game you're going to be in trouble and they never really went at it they it, and it's one of those things where it, they obviously didn't trust that their guy would win that matchup and you've got to win there and how also, at different points, there were times where there wasn't much separation, but you can tell he's used to, to throwing to receivers who've generated a lot of separation. And the trust to be able to just let it loose and know that your guy is going to win that was not there. And that's another reason why he held on to it too long at different points is there were times where he, he should have made the throw. He should have given his guy a chance but he didn't feel like there was enough separation. And at a certain point, you know, this is, this is actually a hard thing for for young quarterbacks. When they get to the NFL, you play for a good team in college and you're used to throwing to guys who are open in the NFL. Nobody's ever open. <laughs> when you throw, they're generally not open. You have to throw them open and you have to, you have to throw it to a guy that and trust that that space is going to be there. And we didn't see that either. So, I mean, this was just, is not good all around uh, on that offensive side of the ball.
0: Indeed. Uh, it will be hashed and rehashed. One thing for certain, and I'm going to do it for this show's purposes, is that those four that left are not walking through the door. So we're not going to keep discussing about if so-and-so did that, that would have happened. We, No question, things would look a lot different. Um, and Carolina fans and, and us and me in particular um, assumed – that things could roll on somewhat similarly and that's just obviously not going to happen let me talk a little bit about johnny t-shirt johnny t-shirt.com they're sponsors of this podcast and they are great friends of inside carolina um you can get all your gear you can get all the football gear you need of course basketball is not too far off and there are plenty of other olympic sports that they support both online and in store on franklin street check them out and if you're an inside carolina premium subscriber which if you want to read the message boards after a loss, they are certainly there for you to read them. There are plenty of n- good nuggets. Um, Buck will have his usual up at some point, and all the coverage from Blacksburg and going forward is there. And, of course, the recruiting uh, information is top-notch. Johnny T-shirt, johnnytshirt.com. I also want to send a shout-out to Blue Shark Vodka. They are sponsors of our Inside Carolina postgame show with Ross Martin and Sean Drome. Look, th- these guys – Uh, Connor Barth and his guys make a wonderful drink, and it would have uh, been beneficial watching that one last night in Blacksburg. But take a chance on some Blue Shark. You got a cool little bottle that you can get with the Blue Shark in it. They've got the other bottle that's uh, just straight for your uh, enjoyment. Blue Shark, sponsors of Inside Carolina as well. Check them out. Look for it in any county in the state. Take care of that. Let National Guys pay the bills for the audio version. We'll be right back. This is the day after pod with Buck, Jason,
2: and me. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If Ready PG.
0: All right, boys, let's talk about some positives that I saw. And one thing – and we we didn't really talk about Josh Downs earlier. He's going to be a stud for this team. He's going to be the guy. Ten
1: nine nine catches yesterday? Something like that. I think
0: eight for 123. I mean, he was the only guy that was open that I saw with any consistency – So he might be the Michael Campanero for this Carolina offense, Buck. Shout out to that reference. But let's flip to the defensive side of the ball. And, Jason, since I started with Buck on offense, I'll start with you on defense. Aside from the early, very early, I thought this defense played well, certainly played well enough to win the game. But Jakarius Conley is just, I mean, that's one guy that read no press clippings, came in and played as well as we thought he might. Start with him, and then let's sort of break down this side of the ball because it's easy to look at this game and think the defense was not any good and Rip Bateman and all that. Sure, they lost, um, but 17 and 300, you got to win those ball games. Jason, what would you see?
2: Well, I mean, there were some – I thought there was a lot more positive defensively than negative in this game. There were some frustrating aspects of this, and some of that is just due to how – how Virginia Tech called it. I mean, Virginia Tech called a great game to keep the defense off balance. And you know, they did what they do. They, you know, tons of jet sweeps and throws to the perimeter to try to force you to defend the whole field sideline to sideline and really force you to to handle the edge and and Carolina didn't set the edge as well as they as they needed to and were and they allowed too much yardage largely as a consequence of that. But a few things were real positives. And one is Conley was a, I mean, we all expected that Conley would be a good player this year. The question for me, I mean, I, I knew he might be a top five player on this defense on the team this year. If he played to his potential, the question was, what would he look like at safety? What would he look like if, you know, if he's asked to cover and some of those things, and for the most part he looked like an NFL player at that position. He looked like a guy that that belongs there and is going to be a force at that position. Now he took some bad angles in a couple cases. He missed some tackles that were there were a couple tackles that were brutal misses that, you know, should have been a third down stop in a couple cases and guy went on to to not only get the third down but make a play beyond it. So he's got to clean that up a little bit. But overall, I mean, you look at uh, fumble recovery where he's in in the pile doing his doing his thing doing handling his responsibility and making sure he's there picks up the ball that's a little bit of that is luck the interception was a baller play I mean that's a guy that, that's a dude going out and making a play now quarterback didn't put the ball on, on on the spot but again you've got the guy in his proper space and finding a way to lay out and, and, and catch the football I mean this is this was big time stuff from him. I, this was a bit of a coming out party and had, they, had they won this game, this certainly would have been, I think we would have all talked about this as a coming out party for both him and Josh Downs. But uh, you know, I think, I think he's found a good home where he is at that boundary safety. He's, he gives them some flexibility. And I thought overall uh, he was a revelation there. That's, that's going to be a real positive for them this year on defense.
0: Buck, what you see, um, it was a little surprising, like I mentioned earlier, to see them get pushed around a little bit. And I thought they, um, you know, out-schemed Bateman's defense at times. There were guys out of position um, on more than one occasion. But, again, it's the end result for me, and I like what I saw in total. Uh, but your take on maybe starting at the defensive line, they played a lot of guys there. Um some didn't get as many snaps as maybe I would like to see, but anyway, but give us your expertise.
1: Well, there was, uh, some interesting, um, use of the defensive line and very early we saw guys like Javari Ritzy on the field. Um, and he
2: made a play, made it made, a, made play a play right away. Yeah. and tackle for a loss.
1: Right. Uh, I was surprised at that, that, uh, we would see, we, well, you know, we've heard great things about Javari all fall camp, but, um, you know, to, to see him, you know, making a play first half um, was interesting that they had that much confidence in him, and I think that bodes well for the for the season. Uh, I, I haven't gone back and counted, uh, but they did use three down linemen a good bit of the time, uh, more so than last year by a long shot or uh, at any point previous uh, under Jay Bateman. Um, on that Conley interception, part of what caused that interception was pressure, um, on Burmeister. Um, and really defensively, it was a tale of two halves. Uh, once, uh, Bateman and the defense sort of got a handle on what, uh, Virginia Tech was trying to do. They did find a counter for it. And the second half. I think maybe the total yardage for Virginia Tech in the second half was something like 70 yards. I think mean, they had two 20-some in the first half and um, 70 or 80 in the second half. So, um, you know, the, I think there's a uh, there's reason um, if, if I was going to uh, go out and order a shirt like uh, Jason's wearing, uh, that there's still hope. Um there's still hope because I think defensively they can get even better. Um, and and they've got some playmakers over there. And I think that's the difference between this team and a lot of the teams under Fedora. It, they may have had uh, adequate players on defense, but they were all adequate. There was no... <laughs> studs you know there were no war daddies there was nobody that was a playmaker um and there's several playmakers i think on this defense which we'll see more of and conley stands out but there are others as well so uh that's my takeaway on the defense um and and they did get better as the game went on
2: yeah looking at the looking at the second half numbers here buck uh you're, you're right on 93 total yards in the second half 3.1 3.1 yards per carry allowed in the second half. That, that's getting it done as a defense. Two sacks, you know, the total plays, 20, you know, 20 uh, 27 plays, 3.4 yards per play allowed in the second half. That's a winning, I mean, that's not just a win. That's a suffocating defensive performance. If you allow 3.4 yards per play in a half, you have suffocated that offense. Now, unfortunately, if you look at North Carolina's offense in the first half, 4.2 yards per carry, and let's see, the total uh, total yards per play, 5.1. So not very good, but they didn't get suffocated the way that, that, that Virginia Tech did in the second half. And it, it, it's an interesting thing because of how the score and playing from behind and all of that kind of impacts impressions on some of this because it didn't feel like Virginia Tech got suffocated that much in the second half but they did. They, they, they basically got nothing done in the second half because they, they were able to adjust, and guys made tackles and, and were in spots. Uh, another thing that, that's worth thinking about, I brought up the sack-adjusted, so removing sacks from the equation, total rushing yards average per carry in, uh, from Carolina, which is 7.5. That's good. What do you think that was for Virginia Tech yesterday in terms of the whole game? Don't consider sacks. How many yards per carry did Virginia Tech manage yesterday? Uh, 3.0. Close. Yeah, 3.5. Uh. Sack adjusted, you know, so not, not considering sacks. Virginia Tech averaged 3.5 yards per carry yesterday. Hmm. So, I mean, this is not a situation where, you know, we, we talk about it as though Carolina got pushed around up front. And it felt like that at times. But then when you look at it and you go, did they? <laughs> not, yeah. not really. Now, they, the problem was that they kept giving up one play here, one play there. And the biggest issue that they had defensively is I'm looking at first down efficiency. That's where this game was lost. And this was a big point of emphasis of us on the pregame uh, breakdown and all of that, that they needed to be good on first down. The defense needed to handle Virginia tech on first down because Virginia tech is an offense that depends on staying on schedule. Virginia tech averaged 6.3 yards per play on first down. That was where the game was lost on the defensive side. Now North Carolina only averaged 4.3 yards per play on first down. That's where the game was lost on North Carolina. That was side.
1: in the first half though. They did better in the second half, All right. No,
2: this does this is total game.
1: Oh, uh, And I think in the first half, if I'm not mistaken, um, Virginia Tech went six of seven on third down. Right. And did not uh, convert a single third down the entire second half. They finished six of 13 for the game. Um, So they went zero for six on third down uh, the second half. Now, some of that could have been. They tended to be more conservative in the second half. They they went into the second half with a 14-point lead, so maybe they were playing a little bit more conservatively. But uh, certainly, when uh, North Carolina got it to seven-point lead for Virginia Tech, uh, Virginia Tech had no reason to slow walk themselves down the field. So, uh, but you know, I, I do think. The, there were signs at least and more reasons to be encouraged about the defense. Um, got some concerns on offense. We need to get Coffrey Brown back and, and other things. But um, Defensively, I, I think that part of the equation showed a lot of promise.
2: Yeah, I, I, I this, this is a defense that, I mean, by and large, what we saw yesterday was a defense that I expected to see. And it's one that as you're looking at it, it's one that you can expect to take further steps forward over the course of the season, because some of the guys that looked the best were some of the young guys. And, you know, we also didn't see storm duck out there. Right. So, I mean, this defense is going to get better as long as, as long as, you know, these, as long as the, the, the young guys who are, are coming forward, continue to develop as expected. And nobody, you know, goes down with the catastrophic injury, you know, knock on wood, um, this, uh, this defense is, is, is basically what we thought they'd be in game one, you know, some hiccups, some, some young guys, not quite always being in the right spot, some places where you're still getting pushed pushed here and there, but, you know, and, and not being able to snuff things out on third, third and two, you know, and that's where that's, that's what gave us the feeling at times that, that they were getting pushed around is third and two. And uh, Virginia Tech kept getting those, you know, third and shorts. So at the same point, that's kind of what was expected. Now, moving forward in the season, as this defense develops, it's a defense that, you know, you can win You can win a lot of games and, you know, you could be a conference contender with the kind of defense that we saw out there last night. But you can't win anything if, you off, if your offense isn't going to complement that better than they did. And, you know, this is where... You're not going to um, win
1: many games in college football scoring 10 points.
2: No, anymore, no, you're not. And, you know, and, uh, and certainly not when you come out in the first half and you average 5.1 yards per play. You're not going to win a lot, of, a lot of games that way. So, you know, you've got to find – and what you said about Choffrey Brown, I think, is, is a big part of this. The real question right now is, aside from Josh Downs, who's going to be a guy that's going to actually make plays on offense – because you know the the modern offensive game and you know buck i know you've been on this train for 10 years (laughs) you know you can't go by you can't depend on 10 11 12 yard drives all the time because modern defenses are going to get you off schedule generally and you're going to wind up you know kicking a field goal or punting and what you've got to have is you've got to have a guy who can who can you know, you're back. Who can like Javante and, and and Michael Carter did last year? Who can get a four yard carry and turn four yards into forty? You got to have a wide explosive receiver who plays.
1: Can- you, you, you to win, you got to have explosive plays, and they got none of those. The other than uh, Josh
2: Downs, yeah. That
1: uh, first uh, touchdown by well, only touchdown. Uh, Josh Downs went for I think 37 yards. Yep. That was their, That was their long play of the game.
2: And they're not going to win a lot of games this year. If you're long, if your long play is thirty-seven, you're not going to win a lot of games. And you have one of them. Yeah. 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 I mean, they, the last couple of years, they've they've led the they've led the conference or been second in the conference in explosive plays. That's how you win on offense. And yeah. the, the real question to me, and this is the concern moving forward, is when you look at this, who are the guys that are going to produce the the explosive plays for you? because and and again that that takes that's that's Sam Howell's wheelhouse that's what that's what his strength is, is being able to throw downfield and 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 drop the ball in the bucket on some of those deep routes who's going to be the who are who are going to be the guys that you're going to be able to throw over the top to who are going to be some guys that you're going to be able to get some big plays out of and this offensive staff has to figure that out real quick. They got to figure out, like, who's going to be the guy that we're going to give 50 50 opportunities for on those verticals when they're single covering us? Because you can't. I used to tell my, my, my offenses if, if you look out there and you see press man, you know, if they're, if they're going press man and there's just a single safety in the middle, that's disrespectful. We got to win that. You can't let them do that and take that away. So one of you guys has to make a play. And quarterback, you got to trust them to make a play and put it in there. That's what I saw yesterday. Virginia Tech came out and said, you can't beat us here. And they were right.
0: Indeed. Agreed. That that, that should end it. But I'm going to ask you, Buck, to, to end it. Um, you talked about resetting some expectations in your column today. Uh, I think uh, quite a few members of the fan base, and, and including – Quite a few members of Inside Carolina have significantly reset their expectations based on one game, which is never really a good idea. Talk to me about where you are now. Um, Of course, I had them twelve and zero, so I've already. I might as well just tear my bracket up, like I usually do in the March Madness brackets. But but where is this Carolina football team heading into uh, Georgia State on Saturday?
1: Well, it's it's weird, right? Because uh, if you go back to 2019, uh, when North Carolina beat South Carolina in the opener there in Charlotte, everybody reset their expectations in the opposite direction, right? Um, and North Carolina ended up seven and six. Uh, I don't think this is uh, you know I've seen it you know on the uh, message boards uh, a thread title that uh, this is now a seven and five team uh i'm going to have to see a lot more of um some horrible play before i go as low as 7 and 5 8 maybe um and and i think the the right answer though is where i started i'm going to have to see more yep. um and if you look at it i think lane stadium last night was somewhat of a unique, uh, situation. You got 22 months, basically they've not allowed fans into stadiums. Uh, that whole, uh, stadium was loud. They stayed to the end. Nobody went anywhere. Uh, they were all wearing orange. Uh, they were making a lot of noise. And and I do think that crowd to a certain extent, intimidated, Um, North Carolina knowingly or unknowingly consciously, unconsciously, however you want to say it, it affected the way they played everybody. Um, at one point the announcers were saying that Virginia Tech is the faster was a faster team. They played faster from the first snap. They sure did. They played faster. I don't think they're a faster team, but they played faster because they knew what they were doing and where they were going. And North Carolina didn't on either side the ball. So, you know, I'm just going to have to see more before, um, before I make that kind of call in terms of eight and four, nine and three. I mean, whatever it ends up being seven and five, uh, I'm just going to have to see more. I will say, um, going back to the earlier point, I think it was on the beat podcast, uh, one of the pot, maybe the game plan podcast, when they were talking about what sort of player North Carolina needs to recruit more of. And I, I think Jason was right on the money when if you, and you know, we, we heard Taylor talk about, uh, the kind of quarterbacks that Alabama rolls out, uh, year after year. Think about the wide receivers, they roll out year after year and, if we were if if North Carolina is going to move into, um, you know, elite contending status at some point, they've got to get some of those elite receivers um, that you know they can count on to get separation. They can count on to to just uh, blow the top off of the defense. Uh, you can just count on them everywhere. Uh, so. Um, you know, I, I think wide receiver is a position we could stand to recruit a little better than, uh, than what we saw, especially on, uh,
0: last night. Indeed. Uh, we always talk about how these are so much more fun to do after wins and they generally suck after losses. Uh, but we're always here to talk about it. Um, there's been plenty of discussion dissection they will continue to be. Plenty of discussion and dissection. I don't think – I think after the Virginia game in two weeks, uh, we'll know a lot more, if not everything, about this team at that point. Um, yeah. Because uh, if I'm being totally honest, and I know that I miss up in the air, I don't think that Virginia Tech team was very good. and uh, But they certainly outplayed Carolina. They certainly were better prepared. They certainly executed better when they needed to, um, and they got it done. And, and so they're fixable issues – But the deal with fixable issues, is you got to fix them. And I think by the Virginia game, we'll see if those issues have been wrapped up. For Buck Sanders, for Jason Staples, I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. This has been The Game Plan, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt. Oh, excuse me. This has been The Day After, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt. And also Blue Shark. Check them out. Thanks, boys. Enjoy it, guys.